Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, meditation of each heart here, be acceptable in your sight. In our Lord's name, amen. You may be seated. I still see him in the wheelchair. The one who wrote that hymn that you just sang. I still see him in the wheelchair, Henry Letterman. English professor at Concordia University so many years ago. I remember him there in the spring of the year as I took a class with him. And then I remember him in the fall of the year. Not standing strong, but rather in the wheelchair trying to learn how to maneuver the doors and and the floors and the elevators. And if I were to ask you why that man, suddenly afflicted with a neurological disease, if I ask you why that man, who had taught thousands of students throughout all the years, and proclaimed Christ not just in the classroom, but in his neighborhood and in the church where he taught Bible classes and And that was his entire life. Tell me why that man did not look at God that particular summer and say to him, this is how you treat your servant. You give me this illness that will end my life fairly soon on this earth. This is how you treat your servant. Why did Henry Letterman not do that? Why instead did he write a hymn and many others that we just sang? Why did he do that? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That is why he does that. Lee Strobel would have looked at Henry Letterman and he would have said, that is proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That man in that wheelchair, that English professor in that wheelchair, that man with the PhD, that is the evidence of the resurrection. It is the fourth week of our studies, The Case for Christ. Powerful study it has been. And last week was The Case for Christ, the evidence of the Bible, the authenticity of the Bible. And this week, The Case for Christ, the authenticity and evidence of the resurrection. The Bible says, John 20, verse 30 and 31, that Jesus did many other miracles, not recorded, 35 recorded. But these are recorded that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing, have life in his name. If I asked you what were the greatest miracles that God ever did, would you have the big three? Would you know the big three? Would you enunciate the big three? Certainly you would say the creation of the universe, and you would be correct. Perhaps after some thought and prodding, you would say the Bible, the fact that it still exists and touches the lives that it does, which you covered last week, certainly this is the second great miracle. And in no particular order or ranking the third great miracle of God, the raising of Jesus from the dead. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. Colossians 2, verse 11 through 13 God raised Jesus from the dead. The evidence of the resurrection. If you were here Easter Sunday this past spring, uh, some of these facts were covered. The first piece of the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus being real, the eleven disciples, 
the 11 disciples, there is some event that happened in their life that shook them up so severely that they go from being cowards and skeptics to being the world's greatest missionaries. Something happened to them. Something happened to them. They're sitting there in the upper room the day that Jesus is crucified. And every time a mouse runs through the room causing some noise, or every time the wooden stairs creak, they are terrified. Have the Romans found us? Have the spies given us away? Have the chief priests come after us? Will we be hanging on the cross tomorrow as Jesus did? They are terrified. Tell me this. What happened to them that 50 days later, Simon Peter, who was frightened by a 14-year-old girl who said, you are one of his disciples, and he curses and he swears and says, I've never seen the guy before, never, don't know how to spell his name, never looked at his face before. Cursing and swearing, and then the Roman soldiers came and said, man, we saw you with him, we don't have it on camera because we don't have phones back in those days, but we saw you with him. And he's cursing and swearing and said, man, never saw the guy, never saw him. And 50 days later, he is standing in front of at least 3,000 people. That's how many were converted that day at Pentecost. He stands in front of 3,000 and he's preaching to them. The very ones who crucified Jesus, he's preaching to them. And he said, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is our salvation. And they gather him to the side and they say, we'll give you a chance now. You shut your mouth. You never have a word come out of your mouth again and we'll let you live. But if you speak his name again, you are going to die the same death he did. And Simon Peter quoted by Aaron Schuss the other night, Acts 4.12. He said, ain't going to shut up because there's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. What changes these people? Did they see a license plate? Did they hear a song at a precipitous moment? Were they diagnosed with cancer and all of a sudden the cancer went away? Were they in a chariot accident in which they should have died, but God kept them alive? What happened to them that caused so great a transformation? What happened to them from their own lips? They saw Jesus risen from the dead. Not one or two of them uh, seeing it and trying to convince the others. They all saw it. And they deeply were affected by it. They ate with him. They talked with him. They walked with him. This dead man raised to life. So shook up that the purpose for the rest of their days after the Spirit came at Pentecost, for the rest of their days, one purpose, to live him and to tell about him to others. One event, they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Second piece of evidence, two skeptics, one named James and one named Saul. James was the brother of Jesus. Matthew 15, Matthew 13, 55, he has half-brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. James was one of them. You look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 26. It says his mother was following Jesus from a distance. And she said to her sons, I want you to go to Capernaum. I want you to bring him back home. He is insane. 
claiming to be God before he gets himself killed, before he ruins his name or our family name any more than he has. I want you to go after him. Bring him back home. How does James go from believing that his brother Jesus is insane? How does he go from being of that belief to becoming the first pastor of the first Christian church in the city of Jerusalem, proclaiming one thing every single Sunday, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. How does he change from one man to another man? The answer is there in 1 Corinthians 15. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to James and to the apostles and to 500 at one time, and the list goes on and on. But he appeared to James. And when James sees Jesus risen from the dead, not a ghost, not a hallucination, not a dream, not a specter, when he sees Jesus risen from the dead and touches his hands and his feet, and he knows that this man is alive. That's what happened to James. Sees Jesus risen from the dead. The other skeptic, the guy named Saul, First in his class under Gamaliel, great scholar, great follower of the laws of Moses, a teacher of the laws of Moses. And he's going to Damascus to do his job. What's his job? His job is to stamp out this nest, this poisonous nest of Christians. He finds them, he imprisons them, he tortures them, he, he ascends to their death. First Christian martyr Stephen, he's ha- ha- handing on to the coats of those who are stoning him to death. And he's giving his applause for this action. He's on the, on the road to Damascus and he gets knocked off his horse, donkey, whatever he's riding, doesn't matter. He gets knocked off his horse and there is a voice that speaks to him and he, he says, who are you? And, and the voice says, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And Saul from that moment on uh, is changed, radically changed, from the exterminator of Christians to the proclaimer of Christianity. And it says in the latter part of Acts, that particular chapter of his conversion, it says he saw Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, That's what changed their lives. And Lee Strobel looks at those two individuals, along with Zacchaeus, along with a woman at Sychar as well, along with a man possessed by the demon, along with all of those listed in the Bible, King Manasseh, the most evil king that Israel ever had. And at the end of 55 years, God reveals himself in such a way that Manasseh lives the rest of his life for his God. How do such things occur? Strobel says evidence for the resurrection. I never sing that hymn. We sing it a couple of times a year. We never, I never sing that sermon hymn without getting emotional. Because I still see Henry Letterman. And I still remember my conversation when I came back that fall. And I saw him so weak in that chair. And I said... Professor Letterman, what's happened here? 
And he says to me, God has chosen a different course for my ministry. My ability to teach will not be much longer, but I will write hymns and I will write poetry about my Lord and Savior. That is proof of the resurrection of Jesus. The third one, uh, circumstantial evidence, changes to the Jewish social structure. This is history, okay? If you like history, you're going to tune in for a little bit. If you don't like history, you're going to snooze for a little bit. I'll be back with you shortly. Changes to the Jewish social structure. We're not talking about individual people here like uh, Saul and James or the twelve disciples. We're talking about an entire social structure that had not been changed in thousands of years beginning with Abraham 2,200 years earlier, passing on to Moses 1,500 B.C., and now all of a sudden, the entire social structure of the Jewish nation begins to be fractured, to be brought down, to be transformed. You look at the bulletin cover. When I first looked at it this week, I said, man, that's a pretty cover. The verse... People, the verse on the bulletin cover. Don't be conformed to the world, be transformed. We're talking about an entire social structure transformed. The Jews were captured over and over again by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Romans. And every time they were captured, what kept the Jews from being melted down? and becoming a part of the culture that had captured them. The Assyrians no longer exist, the Persians no longer exist, the Babylonians no longer exist. When they got captured over the course of years, their culture got melted down and it embraced the culture of those around them. Why did the Jews stand firm? Why did the Jewish race not get quote-unquote exterminated by those who captured them? Their social structure. It gave them their national identity. It was so unbelievably important to them. If you tortured them, if you tortured their family in front of their faces, if you put them to death, it did not matter to them. Like Martin Luther, they would say about their social structure, Here I stand. I can do no other. The structures were passed down to the children. Every day there were weekly, there were daily rituals. Every week there were weekly rituals done in the synagogues. And on that great day of atonement, Yom Kippur, every Jew would fast for three days, and then they would come to the day of atonement. The repentance of their sins and the sacrifices of animals for their sins. The social structure... Here comes a rabbi, Lee Strobel describes it. Here comes a rabbi named Jesus. He's a carpenter's son, lower region, Nazareth, the ghetto of Palestine. He teaches for three years. He gathers some lower class and middle class people around him. Gets in troubles with the authorities. He's crucified along with, listen, he's crucified along with 30,000 other Jewish men During that three to five year period, 30,000 are crucified. Why is one who is crucified 
and not the 29,999 others. Why is one who is crucified? The difference, the transformation of mankind's life because that one was the Son of God. Five weeks after his crucifixion, there are 10,000 Jews following him. And those Jews look at their social structure and they say, He is risen from the dead. Proof? Animal sacrifices. Within three months of Jesus' death and resurrection, these 10,000 Jews and others who come after them, they are no longer practicing animal sacrifices. Since the day of Noah, when he got off of that ark, and the first thing he did was take clean animals out of that ark, and he sacrifices them to God. Abraham, Moses, the sacrifice of animals for the sins of the people. He dies within three months. No more animal sacrifices. Why? Because he is the perfect sacrifice. The blood of animals cannot cleanse mankind of the sin, and we need the blood of a man, and the man has to be perfect. Hebrews 5a, Jesus is the perfect lamb. Within three months after his death and resurrection, these Jews are looking at the law of Moses, and they are not saying the law of Moses is our salvation. They are not saying, if I do not follow the laws of Moses, I'll be killed on this earth and consigned to hell. They are not saying that any longer. They're looking at the law of Moses, and they're saying about the law of Moses, it points to us our sinfulness. Our salvation is not obedience to the law. Our salvation is through faith in the one risen from the dead. The one of the 30,000 crucified, risen from the dead. Our salvation is in him. Within three months after his resurrection from the dead... The Sabbath day is no longer Saturday. It has been Saturday, the Sabbath day, for thousands of years. Within three months after his death and resurrection, the 10,000 Jews and those that came after them to the faith, they are worshiping on a Sunday morning for one simple reason. It was on a Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead, and that becomes their sacred day. And within three months after his resurrection, the Jews believed in monotheism. They believed there's only one God. But the Christians began to teach a form of monotheism. They said there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For those 10,000 Jews, a belief like that would have had them executed because of blasphemy. Matthew twenty six sixty three. High priest asked Jesus, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus said, I am. I am the Son of the living God. And Caiaphas said, Blasphemy. Put him to death. You got 10,000 Jews, people. You got 10,000 Jews within three months after his resurrection proclaiming Jesus is God. You heard at the concert the other night that the fastest growing group of Christians on planet Earth is where? It's Iran. (laughs) Ayatollah Khamenei, when he lived 40 years ago, his one purpose on this earth was Saul's purpose. I'm going to execute every Christian I can find. There will be no Christian left in Iran. 
Look at God. You want to talk about him confusing the enemy? Look at God. Fastest growing group of Christians on this earth is in the nation of Iran, led by the women of that country, realizing that because of their faith, they could be tortured and put to death, fully expecting that if they are found out. How could God transform the nation of Iran? Jesus risen from the dead. How could he transform Saul and and James's brother, Jesus risen from the dead? And if you want one other social structure that was fractured, it's the fact that every Jew believed that Jesus, the Messiah, would be a political leader who would destroy the Roman Empire and there would be no one who ever conquered them again. They would rule on this earth. The disciples arguing about who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom that he's going to set up. And within three months, these 10,000 Jews are saying, He is the Messiah. His kingdom is not of this earth. His kingdom is an eternal, everlasting one. How do you transform a culture? How do you take your most cherished beliefs that have been within the family of the Jews for 10,000, for all of these years, and 10,000 of them say no? How does that happen? Lee Strobel says, Jesus risen from the dead. I will give you one final proof. So when the guy at uh, LA Fitness asked me a couple of weeks ago upon him asking me if I was a minister and are you the one whose son died and all that stuff and, and then he said his son had died two weeks earlier and he asked me how did you, how did you stay a believer? How did you stay a minister? God could have saved your son, and he didn't. God could have saved my son, and he didn't. How did you stay? Uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. His promises are true. How was uh, April Dominic and Morgan Schnell and the Schnell family and, and that family, how were they here last week, sitting right there where Pam... Ruta is sitting. How were they here last week? Two days earlier, we had had the service for their mother who had died, and their grief was so enormous. Tell me why they were sitting here. I say to you every Christmas Eve that I preach a sermon to you, but you preach a sermon to me. Because on Christmas Eve, I see people who should be here, the babies that were born or, or the weddings that took place. They should be here. The job advancements, the getting into the college you want to get, they should be here. But I see all sorts of people here on Christmas Eve that should not be here. The man who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer hadn't been able to come to worship in, in a couple of months. I, I would go out to see him, but I hadn't seen him. And in Christmas Eve, he comes staggering in here. Why? Jesus is risen from the dead. 
The man whose boss told him, I want you to do this, and he said, I can't do it. And his boss said, I, it's really not embezzlement. You'll never be caught. We've been doing that way here for 40 years. And he said, I will not do it. And the boss removes him of his job three weeks later. and He's got a family to raise. What is he doing here on a Sunday morning? What is he doing here on Christmas Eve? Jesus is risen from the dead. Here's a family going through the death of a stillborn child. It happened last week, and they're sitting in church like they've sat here for 30 years. How does that happen? A car accident that uh, it causes the wife to become basically bedridden for the rest of her days on this earth. Here comes Alzheimer's, here comes Parkinson's disease, and you come in here. You come in here. How does that happen? Lee Strobel would say it is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power that comes from the empty tomb. I've been waiting to tell you about Jean Palmer. Jean Palmer is bedridden. She's been bedridden for six months now. She says to me when I go and see her last month, she said, Pastor, would it you embarrass you if I hired an ambulance to come and take me and put me back out in the narthex so I could listen to the service live? Would that be all right, Pastor, if I, if I hired a medical ambulance to take me to church on a Sunday and put my bed out there in the narthex? The evidence for the resurrection of Christ. What license plate did he ever put into your life? What deliverance from a car accident? What, what did he put in your life that you say, Jesus is risen from the dead. That's why I am surviving what I am surviving, because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. God be with you guys this week, uh, whether in a small group or whether you're doing it individually. God be with you this week as you contemplate the case for the evidence of Jesus risen from the dead. In his most powerful name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Why, it says that right there in the Bible. If Jesus be not risen from the dead, then we are the most stupid of all men. We are the greatest fools that there are. And if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we have no hope. But if Christ is risen from the dead, we know that the blessings that we have come from that empty tomb. And we know that as we walk through the storms that Jesus himself promised, this resurrected Christ, he did not die 2,000 years ago and is buried someplace. He is still alive at this moment. And whatever storm I might be asked to walk through, he has promised me 2,000 years after, 2,900 years after David wrote the 23rd Psalm, he is still walking with me through every valley that I shall ever walk through. The evidence of the resurrection of Christ, God's people sitting in these pews at Trinity Lutheran Church on September 29th, 2019, at 8 o'clock in the morning, praising you and desiring to live our lives for the resurrected Christ. In our Savior's name, amen. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.